I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Today, we have a delicious segment on Purpose 360. I am going to be having a conversation with a longtime friend, Shannon Schuyler, who is the U.S. Chief Purpose Officer and Inclusion Officer for PwC. PwC is a 295,000 employee professional services network, a global one, and a powerhouse. They provide assurance, tax and legal, and consulting advisory services. What we're going to talk about is the amazing commitment that PwC has to its people. And when they focus on their people, they become a community of problem solvers. Now, I call Shannon an OG, and that's not a term that I use lightly. She has been at the company for over 25 years. She has seen the evolution. She's been part of the evolution. Not only does she have a team right now of 100 people, but she's constantly on the conference circuit, sharing the wisdom of her work, the work they do with clients, her vision of really being attentive to the evolution of purpose in the marketplace. She's just terrific, and she's funny as well. She's just a delight. So we're going to have a highly inspiring conversation. And for our listeners, there are at least 10 powerful insights along the way that you can take to your work, to your teams, to your C-suites, to truly make the impact of their purpose much more profound Now, I'd like to open with a letter from PwC's global chairman, because it's going to give you a sense of that why employees want more meaning and why leading companies must be ahead of that, must be partners with them to support their well-being, to support their individuality, to uncover their personal purpose. This is the big unlock, guys. Uncover their personal purpose through a variety of techniques and engagement when someone first comes into the company, no matter what level, and then that, then help them to support and find a job because there's so many amazing different ways you can engage a PwC to align with the company's purpose. So let me read a bit from Bob Moritz's letter. While the disruption caused by COVID-19 pandemic has brought many challenges, it has also taught me some very important lessons, such as the need to protect your people as best you can, the need to connect and keep in touch, and the need to take time for yourself and balance your personal life with your work. As an organization, we have also learned lessons, and I believe that PwC will emerge from the pandemic stronger, more focused, and better positioned than ever to deliver on our purpose to build trust in society and solve important problems. And they're going to do it through their strategy, the new equation. 
So join me for my conversation with Shannon. Again, an OG in the entire purpose field. You're going to learn about how the company truly becomes problem solvers, how the company identifies for their people, their personal purpose, and then aligns it with the company purpose. This is a segment that is going to be as great as the ones that we've done with Paul Pullman and Alan Murray. And it's going to be one of my favorites. And I know it's going to be one of your favorites too. So let's get started. Welcome, Shannon. Carol, thank you so much. And I have to say, I, I watch the housewives all the time. So the fact of being called an OG for anything, I will take it. <laughs> well, well, you really are an OG. I'd like to say to my listeners that um, Shannon has been with the company over 25 years. And she is such an authentic living in her just her entire ethos purpose and her her experiences through PwC, but also in her network. Um, she's at so many conferences and she is such an articulate um, um, individual. She shares her expertise. She shares her knowledge. She shares what's working and not working. So this is an absolute, I'm going to say smorgasbord of deliciousness <laughs> because Shannon, she's also very, um, she's authentic, but she's also very humble, which I love about her because she's a constant share. And that's a core attribute, I, I feel, of PwC. It's about building belonging and really bringing out the best in people. So since this year's focus is on embedding purpose, we're going to focus on what is the purpose of PwC, but with 295,000 employees in over 156 countries, and I believe over 200,000 clients, that's a lot of people to bring to building solutions. And I love in all your reports that you're talking about, you know, solving important problems. So with all of that, let's get into it. So Shannon, um, can you briefly share your background? Now you've been with the company again over 25 years and your role has evolved over the years. So why don't you, we just start with how it's evolved, your current I love your title. I love Chief Purpose Officer. I think I think it's the, the first one in the world, but maybe, maybe not. But let's just get into your experience and your years with PwC. Let's start there. Well, great. Well, Carol, first of all, thank you so much for that incredible introduction. I so appreciate the guidance that you have given me over the years. And, and I feel that this is a journey that you have to go on together. And I think that as we look at people really wanting to explore what their organizations can do and, and the breadth and depth of their people, they have to realize they don't have the answers. I think one of the things that I've learned over the course of my time at PwC is I for sure do not have all the answers, but our people certainly do if you cobble it together. And to your point, our purpose is to build trust in society and solve important problems. And so we are a group of problem solvers. And that is very different than years ago when I started at the firm, where our core mission and our vision really was focused around, you know, really protecting the capital markets. That's what we did. And that's still what we do. But why we do it, I think, is what's so incredibly important. And that gets to our purpose. And I think that 
purpose hasn't necessarily evolved over the years, but it's become more visible. It's become articulated. And it's really honed in on what does that mean for us to really have an appreciation of why we do what we do and what that looks like across the various different business units and practices and and then the role that we need to play as a responsible leader, given the good fortune that we have and given the ability that we have to really be able to live strong lives with our people and to be able to support their families, what then do we need to do? And I think over the course of the years of the firm, I've gotten the opportunity to see those different things, whether it was within recruiting and having an appreciation of how we fundamentally deliver our brand to have people come on and and live up to that promise, whether it's through client service and saying, what do we need to do to deliver the utmost to our client, but also be able to say what they're getting right and wrong, to have that really strong relationship. Or looking at how do we build and and create the first corporate social responsibility group that we had or our first foundation, and really having an appreciation of SharePoint, how does this come together? And I think at first, it came together as standalones. And to your point, we've really been focusing so much over the last several years on how does it get embedded? This isn't a standalone. It's not something that sits in a group. It's not something that sits in a department. It's something that needs to become a part of the the feel, the culture of the company where everybody is focused on being a problem solver. Everybody is the steward and the advocate of our purpose. And that's incredibly exciting to have an appreciation of what to each word in our purpose statement mean. And it means very different things to our people. And we have to uncover that. And that's exciting to be able to see and and a job that will take a very long time to do, (laughs) considering how many people we have. Beautifully stated and really going from an outside in that your core, core valuable asset is your people. So thank you so much. I've been talking about that for at least two decades. The world has finally caught up and, and it's, it's practiced so brilliantly by PwC. So we're going to really get into that. Just talk a little bit about your department because I think I'm, I'm sensing you have a vast group of, of colleagues that you work with. So what's it look like? I have one of the most incredible teams that I think any leader is lucky to have. And so the purpose and inclusion team is a collaboration of individuals that focus on um, purpose and what does it look like to actually have people understand why purpose is important as they come into the organization. I have individuals that focus specifically on DNI and looking internally for what that looks like. I have a group that focuses on CO action for diversity and inclusion, so helping other companies look at those types of things. I have the PwC Charitable Foundation. That's a part. I have people who focus within, even on the firm side, on our charitable giving, our volunteering, our pro bono work. I have a department that focuses specifically on data because I think that that's so incredibly important because they're has to be measurement in these things. Otherwise, it just becomes a nice to have and not a must have. And then now recently, I have a group that focuses specifically on technology. So technology innovation, really focused on how does technology really support the world and making it better from both an environmental standpoint, because I also own environmental sustainability, as well as just capacity building and digital upskilling. Um, and then I also have supplier diversity. So <laughs> all of these things kind of come together with the most amazing team. It can't be distinct groups. And I, and I think that's what's so important around the embedding piece, because then you can gain more momentum. So make people jealous who are listening on this phone. How many people in your group? I have over 100 people. 
a vast enterprise for sure. When did you get the additional um, DE&I role added to your chief purpose officer role? About two and a half years ago, I was asked to take on an internal uh, diversity and inclusion. In addition, I had been running our CO action. And, and that has been, I will tell you, such an incredible eye-opening experience um, to really be able to understand and appreciate the data, to understand the nuances and the different experiences that people have based upon their backgrounds, uh, to really try to dig into self-ID and understanding why people want to share and why others don't. It is such a vast, um, really unique place to work and to really see how that influences a company, especially of our size and scale. It must be so exciting. You're learning constantly. Constantly. I mean, Carol, I have to tell you, what has kept me at the firm and what I tell people, I, I definitely am an intellectually curious person. Totally. And every day I read, I send out every week a list of about 15 articles to my team. And I'm like, okay, these are the ones I got this last week. And they're fascinating. And internally, I learn from all the conversations. And then there's so much around these topics from incredible people like yourself that we need to keep learning and growing and evolving. This is not like create a plan and stick to it. It's something happens in the world and you change. And that is exciting, I think. Uh, yesterday, I just interviewed this amazing man. I don't know if you know Andre Norman, and he was um, in prison for um, 10 years. He was at CCP. He wrote a book, which I would suggest to any of your team, but also to our listeners, called Ambassador of Hope. And it was an amazing story um, because he talked about um, when he was a child, his father left him when he was seven, and he was one of six children. And that hurt him so much. And that's how he got onto the streets and got, you know, selling drugs and things like that, got into prison. But but he ultimately had a redemption because God talked to him. I talked to him about his purpose. And his first purpose was playing the trumpet when he was a child. Oh, that's amazing. And that gave Mm -hmm. him um, something to focus on. But the gang said, what's that thing you're carrying? And they, they shamed him. So he threw it into the trash and he lost his purpose. And then he found his purpose, you know, after almost killing eight people. So it's amazing about finding purpose. So let's use that as a segue. I was going to say, I'm going to listen to the podcast and get the book as soon as we're done with this. There's so many lessons in that book. And it's it's an easy read, but you feel the pain, you feel the anger, but you feel the shift. So I want to start about what you know your purpose. How do you embed it? in your employees? How do they feel it? Because you do have processes and programs to to discover the individual purpose and then how you align it with the company purpose. And I believe that most of the companies I talk to don't understand how to do that. Well, Carol's interesting. When we decided to really go down this path of purpose, uh, we created a statement, we launched it, we did our global people survey, and we said, pick one of five, like, which is our purpose statement, and less than 3% of the people picked. (laughs) People were like, you're never going to get there. And we had a conversation and said, do we just want to use this as a marketing statement? Or do we actually think it means something that we need this purpose to help guide us to our next 160 years? And the feeling was we did. And in doing that, we needed somebody to focus on it and to be able to pick it apart, and then help translate it. One of the first things we realized is no one was going to want to gravitate and truly understand our firm purpose unless we wanted to understand theirs. 
And we spend a lot of time, to your point, and we work with Aaron Hurst and others over the years to try to understand what makes purpose. And so the first thing we do is when someone comes into the organization, they take a purpose assessment. Our goal is to help somebody find what is your purpose first. That's brilliant. What is your purpose? And that then helps us to understand how to put you on a job. Like what are the types of clients that you want to work on? What makes you tick? working individually or collectively, it helps us to make sure that we're customizing an experience that we call My Plus that is not treating every individual the same, but letting individuals be able to guide their way through the organization. And what that has untapped is incredible creativity because people aren't just doing the transaction. They're saying, let me bring myself personally to it. And I think that crossroads of saying, what's your purpose? And then taking ours and saying, this is ours. So now people understand why ours is so important to us inherently. And then working to say, how do they come together? And we spent a lot of time in doing that. And wise time. Um, how did you create the purpose assessment? Well, the purpose assessment came from Aaron Hurst. And he had created the purpose assessment. And now we have taken it kind of to the next level of really utilizing it and then being able to take the results and give them to the person's coach, to give them to the person's supervisor, and to be able to have a system that we call My Story, Your Story. And it allows somebody to get in. And the first thing they do is they do this assessment and then they tell their story in the way that they want to tell it. Like, who are you? And that also helps us in a self-ID because when you go through things and formalizing how someone's going to ID themselves, many times in many systems, it's your gender comes first and then your race and then these things. We allow people to say, what's your story in the way that you want to? Who are you? And why is that important? Our listeners, why is it important for that person to identify with their story to then link it to the company purpose. Why is that important? That whole notion of you want a place where somebody belongs. You belong in a place where your story matters, where your story makes a difference and where you're able to tell it in a way that makes you who you uniquely are. And it's really interesting to even see our dramatic increase in the number of people who are self-IDing because one, we don't limit people to five boxes. We have over 40 boxes. <laughs> okay. And tell it in the order you want. Because in the order you want, are you a mom first? Are you a woman first? Is you, is it something that is uh, related to how you identify? Like what comes first in your own story? This is not about us telling you what needs to come first and what should be most important. And then that is now available for anyone in the firm to be able to go and see. So they have an understanding of who you are before they even have had a chance to meet you. And then your employees truly are looking for the corporate actions that you're living. I love there was a story in your purpose report about a mom who, who I believe her child had some birth defects and she had she had to move to another state to get the health care, et cetera. And I love the comment from your it was your HR leader or whatever. We're going to take care of you first. We're going to take the work off of your plate I'm telling the story. You should tell the story a little bit. No, Carol, I think to your point, we really want to focus on the individual. And it's about making sure that that individual has the ability to be successful in whatever that looks like. And our first priority is making sure that that happens over and above serving our clients, worrying about other things. And, and we've really taken a very customized approach to 
How do we do that in a way that really allows your unique abilities and your unique challenges to be addressed and to be able to come through? And I think that has been such a shift. Again, to your point, being here over 25 years, that went from something that there was a specific time and grade and this is how you marched along and, and this was what it looked like to now saying and being comfortable enough and trusting ourselves enough and our people enough to say, we'll get to the right place if we let you do it. And you tell us what you need. And that was a huge shift and a scary shift for us. I'm sure. <laughs> was there an a, was there a point in time, I mean, that that shift happened or did it happen a little slower or did something happen? You know, was it um, George Floyd? This was before George George Floyd for you, though. What happened when you take this storied, you know, accounting firm, per se? And I know you talk about yourself larger than that consulting firm, right? But products and services firm. Yeah. (laughs) But something happened because you went from being very rigid and very codified. And all of a sudden you're humanistic. Well, and I think, Carol, you said it. We're about our people. But we're a people business. That's what we do. We don't sell widgets. We are people and people have changed. What people desire has changed over the course of time. And we have needed to dig into that to have an appreciation of what people wanted and the way in which they worked and the motivations for working a hundred years ago are different than they are now. (laughs) And that seems so obvious, but I think it took us a while in the machine of it to kind of break it down. So I think it was probably about 10 years ago where we started to make some really dramatic shifts. And I do think that since the murder of George Floyd and then since COVID, I think we've become more rapid in saying, okay, this is now who we need to be. And we need to embrace that change. And we need to say it's a benefit. This this opportunity that we have and, and organizations have. This is the group of individuals coming in right now. The talent pool is stronger than I've ever seen it. They deserve to have the ability to figure out what work and life and all these things mean. And and it's the most exciting time that I've ever been at the firm and just in society. Like we're, we're fundamentally different. You are fundamentally different. Absolutely. You're going to be one of my favorites and I will always talk about you for my speeches. <laughs> so I'll have to get it down to like a succinct commentary, but I, I will do that. So let's talk about your, your global strategy, the new equation. You know, there are centers of excellence. You've got, what, a $12 billion commitment over five years. You've, you've committed to 100,000 net new jobs. What is the new equation for listeners? And why is it important to codify all of this as you are evolving and pivoting to be even more humanistic and more about belonging? Well, we really believe, and, and the focus, and even we've started a trust institute. Trust is so incredibly important, and we want to make sure that we're delivering that, both to our people, certainly, but to our clients and to society broadly. What the new equation did for us was to take a very much legacy, long-term, 160 years of this is the structure of our organization. We have audit, we have tax, and we have advisory or consulting, however you want to call it, and say, you know what? It's not about that. It's back to your original point. This is not embedding. This is about bringing people together and allowing for other aspects of how best to both approach PwC, but how can we solve problems in a more succinct and a different type of way by bringing ourselves together and then to be able to deliver that 
to our clients and saying, we now have a trust practice. And that trust practice, that's what they are delivering. And yes, it's a combination of things around audit and tax and consulting to say, this is how we deliver that. And then we also have consulting solutions really to help to make sure that we're we're building the strategy and we're implementing it. So we took the entire organization and we moved everybody's cheese, which was terrifying, <laughs> right? And it allowed us to really understand that we want to be here for another 160 years mm-hmm. and we need to deliver in a right. different way mm-hmm. and we need to deliver in a more embedded way where our expertise was traveling across practices and we're not as siloed as mm-hmm. they had been right. before. Right. And so... Okay, so that's Moving Someone's Cheese. That is a book for our (laughs) listeners. It's a great little book. You should read it. It's an old one. It's a a good one. It must have terrified a lot of people. And so, I mean, maybe you don't use the word terrified in your organization, but they're probably (laughs) uncomfortable at least. How did you, you knew this would work. I mean, not maybe all the steps, but you knew because you are such a believer of unleashing a person's potential. And if you support them, they will support you back if you find that alignment. But how did you calm down the senior leadership so that they would advance on this journey? The senior leadership team really was the, the drivers and really said, in order for us to continue to be able to deliver what we inherently want to do and to really live up to our purpose, we need to look at the structure of our organization. And it was it was terrifying because we did it during COVID. And so you already had all these things happening and you were trying to do it in a virtual environment. But we also felt that it was our responsibility to do. And, and because we have built that trust internally and because we have built that trust with our clients, even though we were moving and shifting, people said we wouldn't have done it unless we were very sure that this would make us stronger and better and be a better place for our people and a stronger place for our clients. And I think that trust we had to have had, and that has been building over the last couple of years to allow us to be in that position to say, this is the time to do it because change is good. And Carol, you've known me for a long time. I love change. If you're going to sit and be reactive in this world, you're going to be behind and you're not going to be able to get ahead. And once you're behind, you're behind behind and you can't catch up. And we said, what's the risk? Is it riskier to try to get ahead or is it riskier to wait for it just to happen to us? And we said, we are going to hold our own future in our own hands. We're not going to wait for somebody else to tell our story. We're going to tell our own story. And with that came this change. And just to let our listeners know the real size, you're like over 45 billion in revenues. And this is not a little company. This is a very big company. So what key advice would you have for our listeners? And many of them are 10 billion, 15, $20 billion companies, but they haven't made the shift. They may have identified their purpose, but they're not embedding it. And so I'd love to hear like, do you have any advice? Cause you've got people who are, gee, they kind of have a role like yours, but they don't have a hundred people and they don't have the willingness of the, of the C-suite that gets it. Any advice, pearls of wisdom? I know you've got a lot of those pearls. One, you have to embrace that change is a good thing. And it's very uncomfortable. And you need to get very comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
but you have to be able to look at what lies ahead. What is the potential and where would that go? And I think as you look at your people within your organization, we're in a time in this world where people are ready for big change. They're ready for new things to happen. By meeting them there, that also creates an exciting environment to be a part of. So you have to make sure that you're never going it alone. I mean, the one thing that we say over and over again is never go it alone. If something bad is happening, if something good is happening, take somebody with you. And so if you get people with you and you lock arms and you walk through and you don't let it go and you all are saying the same thing, you have a great ability to drive change at scale. And I think one of the things that our CEO, Tim, talks a lot about, and we'll come up with a great, what we think is a great idea. And he's like, so how does that scale? So scale that to me past, you know, 10,000 people. Like, what does that look like? And you have to keep continue to challenge yourself over what that looks like. And the other thing we do a lot is challenge yourself to not just pilot. You got to jump in. Pilots are one thing, jumping in is another. So if you're going to go, go big, have a great comms plan and, you know, make sure that you're answering every one of the feedbacks, positive and negative to get everyone on board. Let's take a break and talk about the numbers. In our By the Numbers segment, I want to give you the breadth and the depth and the reach of PwC. While the current company was founded in 1998 with a merger between Coopers and Librand and Price Waterhouse to become Price Waterhouse Coopers, which was later rebranded, that's a mouthful, <laughs> to PwC, both Price Waterhouse and Coopers and Librand have roots back into 1849 and 18. 18- 54, respectively. The headquarters of the company is in London, England. Their revenues are 45 billion, 295,000 employees. They're private and they service over 200,000 clients, 84% of the Fortune Global 500. But now I want to give you some other numbers that reflect their commitment to their purpose, to diversity, inclusion, and such. Their U.S. Board of Partners and Principals, as of July 2021, their board of 22 leaders is the most diverse it has ever been in the company's history. Their racial, ethnic diversity increased from 18% in fiscal year 21 to 36% currently, and female representation is holding steady at 36%. Their leadership team is also the most diverse. It's 35% female and 40% racially and ethnically diverse members. Now let's just talk about other things that they do. They've increased their interns by 50% in the past year to almost 1,000 interns. They have a 31% currently commitment to diverse suppliers with the very admirable goal of 40% by 2026. And their Skills for Society programs, they've had a 20% increase in their pro bono efforts and a 30% increase in their time spent on social justice. They walk the talk. Now let's get back to our conversation with Shannon. 
So let's talk about scaling and ideas. And I want to get very specific. Let's talk about your new world, new skills program. It's a $3 billion investment, improving people's understanding skills and knowledge for the digital world. Can you, did it start as a pilot? And I, I think you birthed it big is, is my understanding, but I was gonna say, <laughs> it just came out of the well. So that was based on, we went through an internal transformation, a technology upskilling transformation of saying we as a company to ourselves, we all need to embrace the grade eight technologies, what that looks like and how that can drive and change our organization and also shift us from just being a services organization to a products and services organization and meet our clients where they were, as well as meet again, those new people coming in who know how to use a drone and know how to use AI. How do we make everyone in the company have that same amount of literacy, which will then allow them to be able to move on to different roles within the organization. And so our global CEO, Bob said, listen, if you go on this journey with us, we won't let you go. Oh, nice. And that okay. was pretty magical to yeah. be able to say that to they people within the, the organization. Away. Yeah, It did. It said, if you do this, and we have people who were in our call centers who are now in our technology groups running and working with clients. If you go on this journey, we will make sure not only do you have the job that you have, but you can go beyond that job. That's brilliant. You gave them a fail safe. It was so successful. Yes. Totally. But then we took that, Carol, and we open sourced it. It was so successful for us that we actually took all of the content and all of the badge materials and all of the training and we've open sourced it. So, and we opened it, sourced it to the world. And that was how that program got started. Well, that's brilliant because I, I didn't know it was open source. And that that really shows the mettle of a leader that you are so about really because you're solutions oriented. So I want to we took this and now we're sharing it with the world. So that is brilliant. I want to jump totally to the DEI part of mm-hmm. your because I want you to talk about your CEO action commitment because that was another big, a little bit of risk, a lot of sharing. So can you share for our listeners what that is, why it's important, and where is it today? It was five years ago after the different riots and our CEO came in and said, why aren't we talking about this inside of the firm? And we're like, because you don't talk about politics. You don't talk about these, like, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about these things inside. And he's like, but everyone's talking about it on the weekend. Why aren't we talking about it? And so he brought us all together and it was on a Monday. And he said, on Thursday, we're going to do a candid conversation. I want every partner within the firm to take their groups and to talk about diversity. And our general counsel and HR and everyone said, there's no way we should be doing this. And he said, you're all leaders. You can have a conversation. You're talking about these things at home. Have a conversation with your team. And we all took Thursday a couple of hours and had a conversation around our teams, around diversity, around people were feeling what was happening in society. And it was the most dramatic day still um, that I've ever had with the firm. I mean, the tears and the sharing mm. and the respectful disagreements um, made us a different organization almost in a day. And it was so pivotal that our people came back and said, so what's next? And Tim said, well, if we're having this issue, others have to. And he reached out actually to our direct competitors first and said, do you want to start this? 
Do you think that it's important? Are we not the only ones that are having this? Do you think if companies came together and focused on how to have candid conversations and how to share best practices and how to take some type of unconscious bias training that we would actually be better for our people? And they agreed. And and we kicked off with um, less than 100 companies. And now we're up to about 2,500 CEOs. And we are across industries. And and we have colleges and universities. And we have nonprofits and large companies and small companies. And we have almost 2,000 best practices that people share. And it's been a galvanizing way for companies to be able to look at this issue, to be able to understand they're not alone, to be able to have CEOs share their letters with one another saying, this letter worked, this letter didn't. That's great. And to also add the board conversation to that, as well as now transparency and how do you report all of those things. And so it was a great collective and and the coalition is incredibly strong. Now, are those 2000 best practices, are they open sourced or just for the members of the group right now? Those are for the members of the group right now, um, for them to be able to have and share it. There is a way for people to be able to look more broadly at some of the things that are there or to sign up for different newsletters. But that really is housed towards those members. The unique thing that we've done is there's no membership, there's no payment. Every single thing within the organization is free, including all the events that we do every month or in per- it's because again, we thought this was the right thing to do. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, again, br- I mean, you're giving away to get. I mean, that's been my entire career. I give away to get. And you're you're doing it on such a um, collaborative basis, which is great. For those listening who want to take on an issue that is bigger than them, but it's important to their business and the world, what are your two or three recommendations if they want to create their own CEO action for X? I think it's first articulate the business case. One of the things, and Carol, in all the things we've worked on over the course of the years, people tend not to think that areas within the social or environmental depending sphere don't need the same rigor and business case that a business actually has when you start a new service offering. It needs to have that rigor. So what is the problem? What is the challenge? What is the cost? What are your stakeholders? What are the ramifications? How are you going to measure it? I think all of those things, if you can put together that business case, that gives you a chance to be able to go confidently to leaders to at least make the pitch. I mean, my when I started our, um, gosh, so long ago, our first look at corporate social responsibility, that was based on a white paper that I wrote to our CEO saying, we need to do this. And this is why, and these are the possible outcomes. And this is what this could look like and the brand differentiation and what it means to our clients and what it would mean to our people. And it could potentially make retention better. And from that, they were like, okay, well, then give it a try and see if it works. And now we're where we are. And I think that that's what it takes. Okay, so I want to jump to measurement. And specifically, I want to talk about so many people are questioning in environment, you've got all sorts of, you know, measures. It's it's data and and a lot of great organizations that can parse that data. The S is really hard to measure. Do you have any recommendations on how you're measuring the S, whatever the S is for you, and then for our listeners? Well, I'll take them in two parts. I think the S, the diversity part of S, I happen to be a 
significant believer in the more transparent you can be the better. When we released our first transparency report specifically from that dimension two years ago, it was a game changer for us. It was terrifying for a lot of people and, and a lot of concern about what would happen. And what's happened is it opened the eyes to our people to drive change and to understand where we are and to know that we need to be dramatically better than we are. And it held a mirror up to ourselves to really look at how we evaluate programs, how we evaluate success in a fundamentally different way. And you need to get over your fear of doing it in order to get there. And so I think that's really important. I think for the more general social side, I think it's looking at a couple of different things. And so we try to triangulate our data. So one is to look at what is the impact for our people. And so with each different social engagement that we have, whether it's doing pro bono, whether it's skills-based volunteering, um, whether it's sitting on a board seat, uh, all those types of things, we look at the your performance, we look at your retention, we look at your satisfaction through all those different areas of working hand in glove with the uh, team that drives human capital. We look at the satisfaction of your client, we look at how much revenue you drive, we look at what that looks like to drive that part. Then we look at the organization and we have now gone into each one of our different uh, actions with the organizations, but these are the outcomes we expect. So we don't now go in anymore saying, here's some money and we're really excited to be a partner. With this <laughs> money and with these people and with these resources, we need X, Y, and Z. And it could be how has that increased the number of people that you're interacting with? How has this increased the satisfaction that you have within those individuals that you're trying to serve? So we're very regimented with saying, yes, we want to do it. And, and the stories are amazing because that's the humanity of it. But it has to have an understanding of what did that money actually do? What did that time actually do? And to look at those in some of our broader context, when we've worked on financial literacy and others, we've even done specific targeted engagements to say, has this changed the likelihood of people having bank accounts in a certain city? Like what are those? So we get very granular to see has it worked and what does that look like to make it work? I'm going to do a lightning question. Oh, it's so exciting. <laughs> if you open the paper tomorrow and companies all of a sudden really focused on the issues that need to be focused on, which ones do you wish they would focus on? That's so, Carol, that's so hard. I mean, I, I still am aghast at how our underrepresented minority communities are treated. I mean, I, I look at it from a healthcare standpoint. I look at it from a housing standpoint. Um, I, I look at it from a um, food shortage standpoint. I live in Chicago. I can go easily to the South side and the West side, and I'm in fundamentally a different place. And although we say we're focused on it as a society, we're not focused on it together. And having my husband who grew up in the South side of Chicago and be the only person in his family to graduate from college and to go to law school, and now a public company CEO who's black, like he, it was, he says it was luck. And when you look at it, it was luck. It shouldn't be luck. And we need to figure out how to come together and to really address those issues in fundamentally a different way. Also, our education system. I think about the billions of dollars that we all pump in. I mean, the one thing you can ask any company and they say, well, we're focused on education and we all are. 
but we're not changing our system here in fundamentally a way that's driving equity and experiences in the long term. That was a nice wish list. Very, very good. Social issues. When you're giving a lot of your speeches, <laughs> this one's going to be. Oh my God. Okay, here we go. Okay, here we I go. Was, so, I waited until we would get into those. <laughs> yeah. But, but you said interestingly that you think a company should really very vigorously embrace lots of social issues. Um, what's your philosophy on, you know, PwC can only do so many things. All there, you've got amazing what, how many ERGs, employee resource groups, you've got a zillion. How do you decide which social issues to get engaged with? I think two things. One, again, back to looking at it from a data standpoint, we have a materiality matrix that we've gone through all the social issues and said, based upon our stakeholders, and we've identified our stakeholders, what makes the most sense for us and where do we want to focus our time and our energy based upon looking at our people and our clients and our communities? What does that look like? So for instance, something like racial injustice is high on that list because we look at the types of employees that we hire, the people that we want to lead our organizations and who they are. So one, we structurally do it like that, but that doesn't mean that we won't comment on those issues that are not high on materiality because there is no sideline. If you don't comment, people will comment for you. And we decided a long time ago, well, a handful of years ago, we wanted to tell our own story. And we weren't going to let somebody else make a decision about what we stand for and don't. Now, there's certain things that we focus on and put more resources towards. Other things we're empathetic about. And so we'll still comment. But it doesn't mean we have to get into the same level of, of detail or rigor. Interesting. So, again, a learning point for our listeners. Companies do materiality about where we should go in our, our E and our S and such. You did a materiality on social issues, and I have not heard a lot of companies doing that. So that is really wise. So listeners, that's one of the things you can do. You also said something, Shannon, about empathy and resources, that your response could be an empathetic comment or your response can be more of a resourced. Can you explain the nuances? And my question is, aren't you going to get drawn into the conversation anyway, whether it's a light comment or a deeper response? What we've really focused on is to say, our, our first threshold for dealing with social issues is saying, is this an issue that will not, that will impact our people being able to do their job at the highest quality possible in the safest way possible? So if our people can't go to the bathroom where they want to go to the bathroom, that's a problem for us. That means they can't serve that client. And so we're going to weigh in on the issues that impact our people in that way. And that kind of gives us some kind of scope of what's a little bit in and a little bit out. I think what's important to the point that you made is that something like a Roe v. Wade, it's happening. Like we can't pretend that it's not happening. So it's something that we're not saying we're going to go out and necessarily look from a political landscape of what to do and to go to different representatives. But we're going to say, how do we make sure that our people are able to continue to live the lives that are comfortable for them to get to where they need to go. And we're going to have that comment. And we're going to allow people to have candid conversations internally and talk about difference of opinion and what that looks like. But we're not going to necessarily put external resources towards that like we do around really looking at black and brown communities and what are different ways that we can change the education system. Do you worry that, well, you know, everybody's got their own social media, so you're allowing, you're supporting conversations at work 
And then you must have some partners or leaders in the firm who are saying, yeah, but, you know, we're going to allow the conversation and look what's going to get, you know, tweeted. How do you deal with that? You're not going to make everybody happy. And if you're going for that, it's a lose-lose anyway. And we want to stand for something. And we decide as a team, when all these issues happen, where do we want to stand for? Where do we want to be on this issue? And we have a group that comes together even after any incident within the course of hours. That is myself, our head of strategy, our human capital, our general counsel, our external media. And we say, what what do we want to stand for here? What does that look like? And we come united then to say, this is it. And this is the note we want to draft. And we're not going to comment on that. Or instead of having our CEO comment, maybe I comment on it. We go through that very quickly to determine how to get ahead of it. So your longevity with the firm, your cross-functionality of that team is absolutely critical because you are developing strategy and a position for 295,000 people around the globe. Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting. We as an organization are a, we are a network of firms, as you know, and as of like organizations. And, and we come together as the largest territory. And so I serve both in the U.S. capacity for all these issues. And then of one of three that serve on our global board in different areas to look at these and say, when does it come together and when doesn't it? And it's interesting to see, I think from the global standpoint, there's some things that have come together now more so than they used to around diversity, um, certainly more so than they used to around social issues and environmental issues the same. And so I love the way that ESG has come together at this perfect timing where even though people talk about globalization and, and the silos of different territories, we actually are talking more and finding more commonality than ever before on these various different topics. Fascinating. So we're going to have to end this, but I want to ask you, can I invite you back for a, a Shannon Schuyler part two? Oh, I would love it. This is so much fun. I can't think of a better way to spend my time. I've learned so much from you over the years. You're, you're kind. You have shared so much for people to truly understand how to, how to be better and how to be selfless. And you've taught me that. And any way that I can share anything that I've learned and, and we certainly should do one over what went wrong. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> we do a whole session over what didn't go right through right. all of these different things. But you've really guided me and are such incredible leader that I'm just inspired to always be with you. Oh, you're kind. You're very, very kind. I think you have so much to share. And I don't have enough time now. And I've been told I can't have the longest, longest podcast. So we'll do a part two. <laughs> so you probably have a hundred pearls of wisdom to share. Let's talk about the top two to three insights for a company. Most companies have their stated purpose. The challenge we've seen from our research and our work is the activation is not integrated. It's, you know, they're on a journey. So yes, somebody yesterday said it was an expedition. Like I'm digging out the dirt. Which, which <laughs> I, I like was, that. Is I'm that great? You said yeah. I, I was <laughs> thinking about like you know Timberland boots, and they've got like these pants on and whatever, and they're digging the dirt. Not not, not just you know <laughs> it having feels an, like that sometimes. No, I'm Sorry. sure it does. So let's take a couple, two or three pearls of wisdom as we close down Shannon Schuyler Part One. You have to believe. <laughs> um, you have to realize that. And if you're talking specifically about a purpose, it is not just words on a page. We spent the first year dissecting what does trust mean to different people around the firm? What does important problems mean to different people around the firm? If you want it to come to life, you have to have people understand even 
what they think are simple words. You have to really have people come together and have that appreciation. So together they can believe that something can change as they unite. I think that's incredibly important. The other thing that I think is really important is you have to make sure to continue to reinforce it. It would be so easy to stop talking and stop saying this is the lens that we need to use. One of the things that we do whenever a leader starts a meeting, they do a value share. A value share is taking one of our values and saying, let me tell you what this means. This is just not, you know, care is just not a word. Let me tell you how it worked in this engagement. And so people understand what it means to do that. And then the third is you need to build trust. Trust is one of those things that's really hard to build. But once you got it, you can do a giant transformation with it. And helping people and with our Trust Institute, we're trying to help 10,000 executives understand what trust means across their portfolio. And I think those are really important to think through as you look to go on your expedition. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You have really embraced the thought leadership in sharing, gathering. You're the, the convener, the catalyst, but then you bring all these amazing, whether it's employees or CEOs or DEI leaders together, and you let people share and talk, and then you share it out. You codify it, but it's not just you. You're truly a catalyst for change. Shannon, this has been a brilliant conversation. Um, I know this is going to be one of our best listened to, but there really is a part two, part three. So I will come back at you and uh, we will have some more great conversation. So thank you so much. Any last, again, pearls of wisdom you want to share before we wait here and before we go to part two? The only thing that I will add is make sure that you're enjoying your life while doing all of this. What makes it come to life truly is that you personally are finding something special in it and then you bring it into the organization. That together is really what makes it magical. Makes it magical. And you can hear from the excitement and the passion in Shannon's voice that she has been unleashed. I know, I know. No, this has been great because, you know, when you're on the stage, you're a little more formal. But this has been great (laughs) because she really is an OG and she should wear that badge proudly. And she is, you know, she does it with humility and sharing and whatever. So um, to our listeners for Purpose 360, this has been one of my favorite podcasts. Anyway, to our listeners, thank you for listening. Again, uh, go to your favorite podcast, uh, rank us, rate us. We're almost at five stars. We want to be one of the best. How do you get to embed and understand your purpose? Because there's so many companies out there and not-for-profits and others that just really want to do this well. So thank you, Shannon Schuyler. This has been a true gift to everyone in our network, your network, and to our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Ann Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us. 
because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.